Trial Procedure. Compulsory Process. U.S. Constitution Amendment 6 provides. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right, to have a compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor. The compulsory process clause guarantees the defendant the right to obtain favorable witnesses at trial. For example, the clause prevents a jurisdiction from precluding defendants from calling their co-defendants as witnesses. Similarly, the clause prevents the government from deporting a witness whose testimony would have been both material and favorable to the defense. The right does not preempt reasonable procedural rules. Thus, the right does not prevent the preclusion of defense witnesses as a discovery sanction. Confrontation. U.S. Constitution Amendment 6 provides. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right, to be confronted with the witnesses against him. In Crawford v. Washington, 2004, the Supreme Court held that the Confrontation Clause bars the admission of testimonial statements of a witness who did not appear at trial unless pursuant to one of the exceptions established at the time of the founding. When the declarant appears for cross-examination at trial, the Confrontation Clause places no constraints at all on the use of his prior testimonial statements, so long as the declarant is present at trial to defend or explain it. In Davis v. Washington, 2006, the court held that the clause places no restrictions on non-testimonial statements. Crawford did not completely define the term testimonial. But, Crawford held that, whatever else the term covers, it applies at a minimum to prior testimony at a preliminary hearing, before a grand jury, or at a former trial, and to police interrogations. Laboratory reports of forensic tests are also testimonial, conferring on the defendant a right to cross-examine the analyst who certifies them. Statements made during police interrogation are non-testimonial if circumstances objectively indicate that the primary purpose of the interrogation is to enable police assistance to meet an ongoing emergency but are testimonial if circumstances objective indicate that there is no such ongoing emergency, and that the primary purpose of the interrogation is to establish or prove past events potentially relevant to later criminal prosecution. Irrelevant inquiry is not the subjective or actual purpose of the individuals involved in a particular encounter but rather the purpose that reasonable participants would have had, as ascertained from the individual's statements and actions and the circumstances in which the encounter occurred. One exception established at the founding is if the witness is unavailable to testify, and the defendant had had a prior opportunity for cross-examination. Another such exception is forfeiture by wrongdoing, for example where the defendant intends to obtain and obtains the absence of the witness by wrongdoing. Still another exception is the use of testimonial statements for purposes other than establishing the truth of the matter asserted. Another possible exception is for dying declarations, for example statements made by a speaker on the brink of death while aware that he or she is dying. Petty jury, impartiality, and vicinage. U.S. Constitution Article 3, Section 2, Clause 3 provides. Trial of all crimes, except in cases of impeachment, shall be by jury, U.S. Constitution Amendment 6 provides. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law. One of the enumerated complaints in the Declaration of Independence accused King George III of depriving us, in many cases, of the benefits of trial by jury. Availability. Depending on the authorized and actual sentence, upon demand, a criminal defendant has a right to trial by jury. The defendant does not have a right, conversely, to a bench trial without the consent of the prosecution. If the defendant is charged with crimes for which the authorized sentence exceeds six months, whether in state or federal court, the defendant has a right to a jury. Further, the defendant has a right to a trial by jury if the actual sentence exceeds six months and the charged crime has no maximum authorized sentence, for example, contempt of court. But, 
the defendant does not have a right to a jury in stacked misdemeanor prosecutions, even if the cumulative authorized imprisonment exceeds six months, as long as the actual sentence does not. Factors other than actual and authorized sentences may be relevant to seriousness, but so far the court has pushed back against expanding the jury right. Impartiality. The trial judge has an obligation to ensure an impartial jury, especially vis-à-vis juror biases and media coverage by such means as jury selection, including voir dire and for cause challenges, jury sequestration, and jury instructions. For example, this may require the court to permit voir dire on the subject of the juror's potential racial prejudice. In some circumstances, the Sixth Amendment even requires the trial judge to grant a defendant's change of venue motion if an impartial jury cannot be obtained otherwise. The Sixth Amendment also regulates the availability and use of cause and peremptory challenges. For example, it precludes a jurisdiction from granting the prosecution for cause removal of jurors who oppose the death penalty. The most that can be demanded of a venerman in this regard is that he be willing to consider all of the penalties provided by state law, and that he not be irrevocably committed, before the trial has begun, to vote against the penalty of death regardless of the facts and circumstances that might emerge in the course of the proceedings. While a defendant is not obliged to use peremptory challenges to cure a trial court's erroneous denial of a defendant's for cause challenge, if the defendant does so, the defendant may not rely on the error for automatic reversal. Size and unanimity. The Supreme Court has held that six-member juries are sufficient and that five-member juries are not. In Ramos v. Louisiana, 2020, the Supreme Court overturned Apodaca v. Oregon, 1972, and held that all jury verdicts resulting in a conviction must be unanimous. Vicinage. The provision requiring that the jury be drawn of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law is known as the vicinage clause. The vicinage clause places no limits on the prosecution of crimes not committed within a state. Nor does the clause prevent a crime from being tried by a jury from a different division, a subset of a federal judicial district, within the same district in which the crime was committed. The third, fifth, and Sixth Circuits have held that the vicinage clause was not incorporated against the states by the 14th Amendment. Public Trial U.S. Constitution Amendment 6 provides. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a public trial. The defendant has a right to have the courtroom open to the public, absent a showing of a substantial government interest that cannot be addressed by alternatives other than closure. The right to a public trial extends to pretrial matters such as a suppression hearing and jury selection. The public trial clause has its roots in the traditional Anglo-American distrust for secret trials has been variously ascribed to the notorious use of this practice by the Spanish Inquisition, to the excesses of the English Court of Star Chamber, and to the French monarchy's abuse of the letter de cachet. The Sixth Amendment public trial right is held by the defendant, and the excluded public have no ability to assert it. Independently, however, the public has a substantially similar First Amendment right to attend. Self-incrimination U.S. Constitution Amendment 5 provides. Or shall any person, be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, while the self-incrimination clause primarily implicates the law of criminal investigations, the clause also protects against self-incrimination that may occur at trial. Plainly, the clause prevents the government from compelling the defendant to testify against himself or herself at trial. Further, if the defendant chooses to testify, the clause prevents the state from requiring her to testify first. But, If the defendant testifies, she cannot claim the privilege against self-incrimination with respect to cross-examination within the scope of the direct examination. Similarly, the clause forbids either comment by the prosecution on the accused's silence or instructions by the court that such silence is evidence of guilt. This principle applies at the sentencing phase, even after a plea of guilty. 
while the defendant is entitled to a jury instruction forbidding adverse inferences from his or her failure to testify, a defendant is not entitled to prevent such an instruction. Nothing in the Fifth Amendment privilege entitles a defendant as a matter of constitutional right to await the end of the state's case before announcing the nature of his defense, any more than it entitles him to await the jury's verdict on the state's case in chief before deciding whether or not to take the stand himself. For example, a jurisdiction may require the defendant to disclose intended alibi witnesses before trial. Double Jeopardy. U.S. Constitution Amendment 5 provides. Or shall any person be subject to the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb? The Double Jeopardy Clause encompasses four distinct prohibitions, subsequent prosecution after acquittal, subsequent prosecution after conviction, subsequent prosecution after certain mistrials, and multiple punishment in the same indictment. Jeopardy attaches when the jury impaneled, the first witness is sworn, or a plea is accepted. The dual sovereignty doctrine permits the federal government and each state to proceed separately. Prosecution after acquittal. The government is not permitted to appeal or try again after the entry of an acquittal, whether a directed verdict before the case is submitted to the jury, a directed verdict after a deadlocked jury, an appellate reversal for sufficiency, except by direct appeal to a higher appellate court, or an implied acquittal via conviction of a lesser included offense. In addition, the government is barred by collateral estoppel from relitigating against the same defense, a fact necessarily found by the jury in a prior acquittal, even if the jury hung on other counts. This principle does not prevent the government from appealing a pretrial motion to dismiss or other non-merits dismissal, or a directed verdict after a jury conviction, nor does it prevent the trial judge from entertaining a motion for reconsideration of a directed verdict, if the jurisdiction has so provided by rule or statute. Nor does it prevent the government from retrying the defendant after a deadlocked jury, an appellate reversal other than for sufficiency, including habeas, or 13th juror appellate reversals notwithstanding sufficiency on the principle that jeopardy has not terminated. There may also be an exception for judicial bribery, but not jury bribery. Multiple punishment, including prosecution after conviction. In Blockburger v. United States, 1932, the Supreme Court announced the following test, the government may separately try and punish the defendant for two crimes if each crime contains an element that the other does not. Blockburger is the default rule, unless the legislature intends to depart, for example, continuing criminal enterprise, CCE, may be punished separately from its predicates, as can conspiracy. The Blockburger test, originally developed in the multiple punishments context, is also the test for prosecution after conviction. In Grady v. Corbin, 1990, the court held that a double jeopardy violation could lie even where the Blockburger test was not satisfied, but Grady was overruled in United States v. Dixon, 1993. Prosecution after mistrial. The rule for mistrials depends upon who sought the mistrial. If the defendant moves for a mistrial, there is no bar to retrial, unless the prosecutor acted in bad faith, for example goaded the defendant into moving for a mistrial because the government specifically wanted a mistrial. If the prosecutor moves for a mistrial, there is no bar to retrial if the trial judge finds manifest necessity for granting the mistrial. The same standard governs mistrials granted sua sponte. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The written text has been altered for voice presentation. To view the modified and original text versions visit thelegalpages.com. The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only and is not intended to be legal or professional advice. The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.